Hey, if you got a Bible, open it up to Luke 19. So we're in a series entitled, Jesus Loves You, and he does love you. He loves you a lot. And so over the, these six weeks of this series, we're just reminding ourselves how much Jesus loves us. And we're doing that by telling stories of real life encounters that people had with Jesus. And so this is encounter number three. We've got three weeks to go. And the first two encounters, uh, you can, well, let me say it this way. This one is kind of a combination of the first two. And so in the very first encounter, there was a religious leader. His name was Nicodemus, and he sought Christ at night. He was a wealthy Jewish man. In our second encounter, it was a woman who was called a sinner, a woman of the city. And some think she was a Jew, others think she was a Gentile. Doesn't necessarily matter. Uh, but she was not in the in crowd. And she uh, sought Jesus in the middle of the day and walked right through uh, the kind of the walls of religion to get to Jesus. In our third encounter, we're going to look at a wealthy Jewish man who is on the outside of the circle. And he, unlike the woman, will not be able to get through the crowd to actually get to Jesus. And the reason we're telling the diversity of these stories is so that we understand kind of the full picture of who the gospel is for, who Jesus' love is for. It's for everybody. And so in the, this morning, as we look through the story uh, of Zacchaeus, I'm going to read the first two verses as a way of intro, and then I think uh, like two verses at a time. And in those uh, couplets of verses, we're going to see three points. Uh, point number one is, man, I forgot point number one. It's not that bad. Okay. Point number one is the significance of the insignificant. Point number two is that everyone is invited to experience redemption. And then point number three is what true repentance looks like. And as we see all three of these points kind of working together, we see how God moves, how he uses people and how he moves, and then how when the gospel goes out, how it moves in a person. And then at the very end, uh, in verse 10 of this, this story, we're going to see the heart of Jesus loving us. So let's start right at the beginning in verse number one in Luke chapter 19. It says, he, the he there is Jesus. He entered Jericho and he was passing through and behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. Now, I don't know how much money you have to make uh, in the Bible to be classified as rich, but Zacchaeus apparently made enough where the label that was given to him by the narrator of the story is he was rich, okay? And so this is Zacchaeus. Now, he is a chief tax collector. If you understand the tax collecting business, uh, or if you don't understand the tax collecting business uh, of ancient Rome, let me help you understand it a little bit. And so obviously Rome uh, had provinces across the world, and they would exact taxes on the citizens of those provinces. And the way they would get those taxes is through tax collectors. Now, Zacchaeus was a chief tax collector, which means he had like little tax collecting franchises underneath him. And so this is just a hypothetical set of numbers. If Rome had said, hey, every citizen owes a hundred, then they would tell that to Zacchaeus. Every citizen owes a hundred. Then Zacchaeus would go to the tax collectors and say, hey, every citizen owes 200. And then the tax collectors would go to the citizens and say, hey, every citizen owes 300. So then they would collect their 300 and they would give 200 to Zacchaeus. And then Zacchaeus would give 100 to Rome. 
And so if Zacchaeus has a bunch of these little franchises running around, you could understand why he was very wealthy. Now, Zacchaeus was Jewish. All of these tax collectors were Jewish. And I'll give you three T's to summarize what people thought of tax collectors. They were traitors, they were thieves, and they were thugs. Traitors, thieves, and thugs. And Zacchaeus, the traitor, because he had left basically the Jewish fold. Like, like, I'm no longer a son of Abraham. I'm going to step out. And, uh, and he would have known, I'm going to mention this point more than once, but he would have known that the moment he chose to be a tax collector, he was simultaneously choosing that there's no way back into the Jewish fold. That was rabbinical tradition and teaching. Once you choose to betray your nation, your family, and your friends, you're a traitor to the cause. You're not allowed back in. So don't try. He was a thief because uh, the, now I explained hypothetical numbers, but the numbers that they would exact in these taxes were really high. And so it's not like they were trying to make like a fair profit margin, which was actually kind of written into Jewish code. They weren't trying to do that. No, they were making a ton of money. And so they were considered thieves. And they were thugs because then they would use that money to finance ongoing business that was pretty shady. And so they were like the mob, okay? And the IRS combined into one, all right? And so the, the, uh, the, the, the people, the Jewish people, did not like tax collectors, and the chief tax collectors were the worst of the worst. And so after last week's story, when we talked about uh, the, the, the woman, the sinful woman, she was probably a prostitute, that was embraced into, uh, into the gospel, and, and the religious leaders got mad. You, you could have gotten to the end of last week and go, wow, look how wide the gospel is. Look how big the gospel is. Look who could be worse. Zacchaeus. He could be worse. And near the end of his ministry, it's almost like Jesus is showing off. It's almost like he's saying, I want to show you how wide and how deep and how big and how grand this gospel is. And this is right before the triumphal entry and he's about to enter into Holy Week. And so Zacchaeus, uh, well, Jesus is, he is kind of showing off at the end. Let me just, let me just blow up your perception of what this gospel is one more time before I go. It's like Jesus is saying that. So Zacchaeus, the hated Jewish man, on the outside, no entry back in. There's something going on in his heart, though. Verse 3, and he was seeking to see who Jesus was. It's a reminder to us, by the way, that we never know who it is that is or is not seeking Jesus. That there isn't like a picture. There isn't a label. There isn't a type that seeks Jesus. This, this story uh, of all the stories that we're looking at is this constant reminder that, uh, that all types have something in their heart that are, that are longing for something more. The rich uh, Jewish leader Nicodemus saw Jesus. The prostitute saw Jesus. The tax collector on the outside saw Jesus. We're going to see three more who saw Christ. There's something in the human heart longing for something more. And so Zacchaeus is seeking Jesus, and as he is seeking Jesus, but on the account of the crowd, and so the, the crowd, the, the crowd is the reason that the text gives, yeah, Zacchaeus is unable to seek Jesus. 
And so, but on account of the crowd, now the crowd is one factor in here, but on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. I have no idea what this feels like, but Zacchaeus was short. Some of you started laughing before I even got to the punchline, okay? Sometimes people say to me after church, they're like, great message. You're shorter than you look. I'm like, well, I'm already not very tall, so I don't know what that means. I tell people I play football, and they're like, what position did you play? I play quarterback. And then they laugh, and they go, how did you see over the offensive line? I said, don't worry about it, okay? I couldn't. You just throw it high enough and hope somebody catches it, right? I want you to know I just avoided making a Michigan joke there, okay? And so that's three heaven points. All right. Zacchaeus was small. He couldn't see. The crowd was in his way. And so Zacchaeus does what small guys are good at. He climbed things. And so he ran over to a sycamore tree and he climbed up the tree so that he could see Jesus. And in these opening few verses, I want to just hit a point. And the point is the significance of the insignificant or the seemingly insignificant. It's not hard to imagine Zacchaeus, and I don't know how, you know, we don't necessarily know how old he was at this point, like coming up to the crowd and, uh, and, and you know, he's, I mean, I do know what this is like. Like you're trying to kind of stand and, and look and, 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 and the tall, I don't know why tall people always like to sit in the front, but they do. And, and so they're there and, and, and they're not letting him in. And I don't know if Zacchaeus, so it's like, hey guys, can I like, you know, kind of get to the front? Like, you know, like short people we know when it's picture time, what do you do? Like, okay, fine. I'll go stand at the front, right? Okay, right? And, and, and I don't know if Zacchaeus is trying to like work his way in or get in or whatever, but for whatever reason, the crowd, they weren't having it. And, and, and more than likely, it's probably because they look back and they're like, oh, it's Zacchaeus. I'm not letting you through. In fact, let's tighten up. Let, let's get even tighter. Tall people, get to the back. Hold them off. Don't let them in. And I wonder how many times this had happened. If there had been other times when there had been rabbis and, and Zacchaeus and his heart was wandering and, and, and looking for something and it had come up and, and the crowd had just formed. Oh, it's Zacchaeus. You can't even come back in anyway. <laughs> You're not allowed back. Keep walking, you thief, traitor, thug. Keep going. This time, no, this time, there was... There was a tree. So Zacchaeus, he gets rejected. He runs over to the tree and, and he climbs up the tree, which by the way, was a very undignified thing to do in their culture. And so Zacchaeus gets, he gets a little undignified. He climbs up the tree and he wants to look in. And it's not untrue to say that the tree showed more grace than the crowd. That the tree an inanimate object, the tree, I guess it kind of was, the tree was a better platform for Zacchaeus to see Jesus than the crowd was. In fact, I think as you read these few verses, what you see is that there's like two options. There's, there's the crowd closers and there's the tree planters. So we don't know, of course, where this tree came from. Okay, I did read one commentary that, that, that alluded to the placement of the tree and all of this. It was probably a planted thing, but we, we don't know this for sure. But however the tree got there, however the tree got there, it served as a platform for Zacchaeus to see Christ. And the crowd closers held him off. 
Now, the significance of the seemingly insignificant is a moment for us to stop and evaluate as followers of Christ. If I'm speaking to followers of Christ this morning, are you more of a crowd closer or a tree planter? Are your actions, is your heart, is the way you operate more closing off around Jesus. Remember, Jesus is at the center and it's like religion is closing in and circling in around and obviously not turning their back to see if there's somebody on the outside who can't get in. See, one of the, one of the, the, the spirit of the, of the crowd closer is that they don't care who's on the outside. They don't care who's not able to see. They don't care. If you already made your choice, you're not allowed back in. So let's just close in around Jesus. Now, somewhere along the line, whether it was God uh, and through the wild or it was a tree planter, they, they, somebody planted a little seed and a sycamore tree came up and the seemingly insignificant thing became a platform for people to be able to see Jesus. Which isn't that then just a reminder to us that every seemingly insignificant act could be a planting of a tree for somebody to see Jesus. Now, how often do we, do we walk through what seems insignificant, the way we handle the, uh, the waiter or the waitress, the, uh, the way we talk to people, the way we post, the, uh, the, the way we uh, handle ourselves at a sporting event, the, uh, the, the way we treat whoever? I'm like, eh, it's insignificant. Is it? Or is it a platform for somebody to see Jesus? Is it a moment where we can, we can say, like I said, I don't know where that person's journey is. I don't know how many they've tried. We've already learned already. You never know who it is that is seeking Jesus. You never, you can't tell by the picture. You can't tell by their occupation. You can't tell by what's on the outside. Nobody would have thought Zacchaeus is seeking Jesus, but he was. He was. Which means you're probably not going to know if the person's seeking Jesus or not. But, but, but the seemingly insignificant act of planting the metaphorical tree could allow that person a platform in to see Christ. I think this really changes the way we handle every interaction, the way we go about our day. That all of a sudden it's like, yeah, uh, I might have what seems like a, a, a very insignificant day. That's one way to look at it. Or I might have what today is God partnering with me and I'm planting some seeds because someday down the road, someone's going to need that platform to see into Jesus. The significance of the seemingly insignificant. I could probably preach a whole sermon on this. Okay, but, but I'm not going to this morning because I want to transition into our, our second and third points. But I want to leave us with, with um, thinking that that. that in the Holy Spirit, no moment has to be insignificant. That every moment can be building a platform for somebody to see into Christ. And, and I also want um, to just to, to, to remind us of the point of how easy it is to be crowd closers. We believe this. We think this. We act like this. We do this. We talk like this. We're these types of people. And if you run up and all you see is the back of our robe, then you must not be supposed to, you must not supposed to be here. And we're not going to look around. 
We're not going to turn around. We're not going to open up. You're not going to walk to the front. Go find another way. So this is what Zacchaeus experienced. Now, you keep going on in the story, all right? And I do love the grit of Zacchaeus, right? So he ran on ahead. He climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. Remember, or see how they use the exact same word here to describe Zacchaeus as they were using to describe uh, the woman of the city. She's a sinner, she's a sinner, she's a sinner. And the religious crowd here is doing the exact same thing that the religious crowd had done last week. And and she's a sinner. Uh, He's a sinner. I can't believe Jesus is going to reach out to that person. Now, our second point here is one of our values as a church. We have seven values as a church. The first one's on the, uh, the wall as you walk in, that this is God's church. The second one is this, that everyone, that everyone, that everyone is invited to experience redemption that everyone's invited to experience redemption. That's the second value that we have as a church. It's our second point here, because what the crowd closer inners want to do is, uh, is to not make a way back for Zacchaeus. I mean, they've already basically, his sentence has been written. He already made his choice and decision when he became the tax collector, so he doesn't really have a pathway back in, so why should I even care anyway? He's a sinner. But everyone's invited. Everyone's invited to experience redemption. Now, it's an easy statement to say. It's a lot harder to begin to carry it out. So I want to try to help us understand that this morning. Everyone's invited to experience redemption. Well, let's let's understand this. One way to look at this would be this. Whether it's an actual person, okay, or a type of person, who would be the hardest for you? I mean, the hardest for you. If on a Sunday morning, I was like, hey, let me bring up my friend. Let me bring up my friend and, and I'm gonna stick my friend and they're gonna be right here next to me and I'm gonna put my arm around my friend and I'm gonna say, hey guys, I wanna introduce you to my brother and sister in Christ. And your immediate thought is, I'm leaving. I'm never coming here again. I'm giving you a two-star review on Facebook because at least the music was good and I'm out. Because how could you associate with him? How could you associate with her? How could you associate with them? Everyone is invited to experience redemption. Everyone. Now, let me ask for a second. Why would Zacchaeus have even thought that there would be a chance with Jesus. What would have gone through his head? Why would have he even, I mean, he, he's done the run up to the crowd before and it wasn't allowed in and there weren't apparently any trees at the other, like uh, how, why would he even think? Let me give you a name, Matthew, Matthew. You know who Matthew was? He was one of Jesus' disciples and you know what Matthew's occupation was? He was a tax collector. And you know where Jesus found Matthew? He found Matthew after Matthew had um, given up on tax collecting and said, I'm going to follow Jesus. Nope. 
It's not where he found Matthew. You know where he found Matthew? Sitting behind his tax collecting booth. Let me say this. You know where Jesus found Matthew? Right in the middle of his sin. That's where he found him. Right in the middle of it. And Matthew's sitting there and he's, and he's right in the middle of his sin and Jesus walks by and he's like, Matthew, let's go. Matthew's like, okay. And he goes. And by the way, when Jesus had called Matthew out of that, okay, you and I couldn't even begin to understand the political tension that Jesus just invited onto his team. Okay. Could not even begin to understand it the political tension, where he's like, all right, Matthew, come on in. You're going to be here. And like the guy, like three or four guys down, looks down and he's like, what? Him? Yeah. And in fact, if you look at all the disciples and the backgrounds that they came from and you're like, Jesus, what are you doing? This is the complete opposite of what you would expect. You're not bringing like-minded people together. He's like, no, I'm bringing a bunch of people with a whole bunch of different backgrounds and we're gonna unify around something that is so much bigger and stronger and deeper than anything that the world could label. Okay. And so Matthew, in the act of his sin, is called by Jesus. Now, when things happen in your industry, what happens? You talk about them, right? I don't know what industry you're in, but whatever industry you're in, you're like, hey, did you hear that that place, they're doing this and that happened and this and that, and they pay better than we do, and we do the same thing, and we should go, right? You always talk about your industry. And so I wonder if Zacchaeus and the tax collectors, because Matthew even had a party where he invited a bunch of his tax collecting friends with him, began to talk. And I wonder if Zacchaeus, when he saw Jesus come in, and he was like, that's, that's Matthew. I was at the tax collecting conference with him last year. Looks different because he doesn't have his mask on, but like, <laughs> cheap jokes. You got to take them when you get them, okay? <laughs> but like, I remember him. I remember him. What, what are you doing with Jesus. I wonder if there's a way back in. I wonder if there's a way back in. Everyone. Everyone's invited to experience redemption. Let me just push a little further. Because of a decision that Matthew had made, probably earlier in his life, religion had put a sentence on him and said, you can't come back in. Friends, how does the church, how do we not be crowd closers, but tree planters to those the world or Christian world has said there's no way back in. What do we do when the married gay couple comes into church? What do we do 
when the woman who had her abortion and has been outspoken about it shows up? What do we do with the high percentage of transgenders who will be uh, uh, 10 to 15 years older, 10 to 15 years from now? Say, I wonder if there's a way back in. My heart has been searching, but, but every time I've run up, all I've seen is the back of the rope. No one's, no one's planted a tree in a while. Oh, and if you don't think this is going to be the future of the church, your eyes aren't open, friends. And it is easy, easy, easy. Come on, guys. Just keep Jesus right there. No one look back. Don't, don't look back. Don't look back. Everyone, everyone is invited to experience redemption. Now, it is most easy in our modern culture to stop the sermon here and to say, we've got to have eyes for those who are just seeing the back of the ropes. And we do. We do. But the story doesn't stop here. And we can't either. And the balance that I'm about to talk about can only be struck by the beauty of the gospel. We don't have labels for it. We can't create it in our own little like, we're a this or we're a that. Because every time we try to put a this or a that on Jesus, he will show up and he'll just implode our man-made labels. That's what the gospel's been doing for thousands of years, 2,000. And so we move on to point three. And it's really important that we do. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. This is a moment of repentance. And what we're seeing is what true repentance look like, looks like. And it is only the gospel that can both say everyone is invited to experience redemption and the gospel when it moves through changes us transforms us. We can't stay the same when the gospel has hit us. And Zacchaeus here is showing us what true repentance looks like. The loves of his heart are being flipped over. The identity he has built for himself, he is abandoning. The path that he had chosen years ago, he's leaving behind. The gospel has worked its gospel flip in him. And now what he values and loves, where he's gonna grab his, is all changed. 
And only the gospel can give us both the, the, the heart to say everyone is invited to experience redemption. And also, let me show you the full gospel. Let me, let me use a phrase right now that's going to make some of your heads explode, okay? Only the gospel can say on one hand, I want us to be the most seeker-sensitive church in the world, okay? All right? On one hand. If seeker-sensitive means this, please come on in. Come on in. Oh man, and if I turned my robe to you, I'm so sorry. Okay. And only the gospel can say that and then say, okay, but when, when, when you have that moment, then what do you do? What happened with Zacchaeus? He gets the full gospel. He gets the full gospel. His whole life is radically altered. And so if, if on one hand it's, it's man, we, we want anyone, come on in. And then on the other, it has to be, and let me show you the full gospel. Let me show you what true repentance looks like. For Zacchaeus, as he walks through his repentive moments, you see a few things that grace just compels him to. The first thing grace compelled him to was to make amends. To make amends. He's like, man, I've, I've hurt these people in the past and now I want to make amends with them. And by the way, sometimes religious people will quote this verse, right? Um, that I no longer dwell on the past. I only look into the future and will actually use that as an excuse to not do what Zacchaeus did. They'll say, Jesus forgot about my sins. Yeah, but the person you sinned against didn't. They didn't forget it. And now all they see is you carrying the name of Jesus. Oh, the gospel compels us for the sake of Christ's name. Sometimes to go back and say, I'm so sorry. But I've been changed. And you might not believe me, but I just got to tell you. And by the way, this isn't just once. Sometimes even in our faith as we're growing and as we're experiencing the gospel deeper and deeper, we get to a place and we can look at two years ago and go, yeah, I was a Christian back then, but the gospel has hit me in such a way and now I got to step back and go, man, I'm sorry. The gospel should not have come out of me like that. The gospel will continuously cause us to do this and we look back and we're like, I got I to gotta fix that if I'm going to carry Jesus' name. The second thing that the gospel compels Zacchaeus to do, and I don't think this is just to the story. I think this is a more of a corporate point. The gospel compels Zacchaeus to remember the poor. And I think the gospel ought to compel us to do that too. In fact, when Paul gets done with the great meeting in Acts chapter 15 on whether or not they're going to circumcise the Jews, they say, all right, Paul, go on out and tell them they don't have to get circumcised, which is probably pretty good news, right? And so like, go on uh, that, well, but Paul, hey, hold on, hold on, hold on before you leave. Remember the poor. And Paul's like, oh man, I was already planning on that one. I was already planning on it. Oh, and what the, what the gospel compels us to do is it, it compels us to remember those who are down and out. 
In fact, I'll say it this way. If the gospel hasn't changed the way you look at money, you probably haven't experienced it. Like you just probably haven't. If, if, and you're like, well, I give to charity. So does Jeff Bezos. Right? No, no. The gospel comes in and it just implodes how we would normally think. And it causes us to think through and to remember things and to do things than, differently than we would have ever done. So Zacchaeus, he was supposed to probably give like a, a, an atonement gift, right? Because of his, his repentance, according to Jewish tradition. Oh, but he didn't have to give half of what he owed. No, he was just remembering. He was remembering the poor. And you say, oh, no, no, he was just making up for all he had stolen. No, he did that too. He did both. The gospel compels us to that, to remember those who are less fortunate without getting into the debates of why and this and that. And sure, sure, use wisdom, absolutely, but do you remember them? The third thing, third thing that we see in this story that the gospel does is it compels us to pay the full cost of discipleship. Now, let me be very clear. What I don't mean is the full price of your salvation. That's free. That's free. Oh, but the gospel compels us then to pay the full cost of discipleship. And the full cost of discipleship, as we're seeing through Zacchaeus, is he is repenting of a false love and walking away from it. And the full cost of discipleship, of stepping into the gospel, of stepping into it, is realizing then that whatever is false and whatever is untrue, I don't get to hold on to it anymore. I now repent of it and I'm transformed by the gospel. Said another way, there's a way that you could look at what I've said this morning and somebody could look in and go, ah, so Stephen, what you're saying is the gospel is wide enough, it is big enough, it is deep enough, it, it has enough to embrace anyone? Kind of. And what I'm really saying is the gospel is all of that, but it is powerful enough to change anyone and to change anything. And if we don't believe that, then we don't believe in this gospel. That the gospel is powerful enough to, to create a pathway back in for anybody And to experience redemption then is to experience the transformative power of that gospel. And to be changed and to, as Zacchaeus did, to replace all the foreign loves. And so on one hand, yes, there's a pathway back in for every single person. And then what is the call? What is the call of preaching? What is the call of the true church, a pillar and a buttress of the truth? What is the call of that then? to preach the gospel. So all that who are called to experience the gospel are then transformed and changed by the gospel. All of us, too. So yeah, I picked the type of ones that I labeled or, or, or laid out earlier. So what happens when you show up? What happens when you're a part of our church? What happens to the, the uh, rich, conservative, religious person who shows up and doesn't care at all about the poor? I'll keep preaching the gospel until you do. 
What happens to uh, the, the, the person who is uh, um, chosen from an early age, right? That they're going to allow their, their feeling to choose their identity instead of God. I'm going to keep preaching the gospel until you do. What happens to the person who has who chosen a, um, a path that, that uh, has rejected God's standard and they show up and say, I'm going to keep preaching the gospel until you do. And everyone's invited to come in and experience it. And we get to the last, we get to the last verse. Oh, and it sums up everything so beautifully. For the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. Here's the beauty of the story, friends. Here's the beauty of it. That every time Zacchaeus Every time he had walked up and the crowd hadn't opened up and he had walked away, which by the way, oftentimes people do this when they walk up and the crowd doesn't open up instead of going left to the sycamore tree. Oftentimes what people do is they go right down a path that is even further into that identity and who they are. Okay? It's just the way it is. You go, I couldn't find a way in and so I'm just gonna, I'm gonna exit and I'm just gonna go deeper into it. And every time, apparently, that, that Zacchaeus had done this, and every time he had come up and the crowd had no and there had been no bad. For this reason, I think because of how Jesus had interacted with, with Matthew, because he had seen something, because his eyes had been opened to a possibility that there might be a way back in. That this man that probably nobody cared about because he has everything and he's ruined all of our lives and he's stolen our food and he's stolen our money and he's stolen our livelihood and he's ruined everything and he shouldn't have a pathway back in. That something in his heart started believing that maybe in Jesus there was something different. And this time, when he went over, climbed up the tree, looked past the crowd. What do you see? Through the religious crowd, to all those who had closed their back. Jesus was looking right at him. So Jesus was saying, Zacchaeus, I see you, man. Come on. You're back in. Oh, and you're back in to something that is so much better than what you thought you might get back into. It's why it says in the scripture that Zacchaeus responded to all of this joyfully. The complete opposite of the woman. The woman, remember, she was just like on the ground weeping, right? Like mournful sorrow. And that is one response to the gospel. But Zacchaeus shows us the other response to the gospel. When he gets up and then he scurries back down the tree and he's just like runs after Jesus and he's just joyful and he's like, oh my gosh, this is, I'm back in. I never thought it'd be possible. Jesus says, this is who, this is who I came for. I came to seek and to save. I'll add, I came to see and to seek and to save all of those. 
Some of us can remember the moment when we climbed to the tree and we looked down and Jesus was staring right at us. And it melted you. Let me show you a better way, though. It's when the crowd itself, instead of circling up, opens up. It says, let's go get them. Let's go get them. Let's go tell them there's a way back in. It's when the crowd opens up and goes, I remember when there was no way back in for me because I had rejected and rebelled against him, but Jesus brought me back in. And it changed me. And I couldn't hold on to the same loves that I once had. I had to abandon them. Oh, this is good news. Let's go tell them. Let's pray. Father, I and we, whoever would join me, repent of wherever we have become crowd closers. Please change us. And Father, give us a heart that beats and seeks those who would think there's no way back in. Make us like you, Jesus, the seeker. Father, we see in this story that the gospel demands everything. It doesn't allow us to hold on to false loves. And so where we have, would you fill us with your love in such a way again that melts us so that we like Zacchaeus with joy could now run in the path of our new repentance. And Father, I ask that you would help us as a church. Oh, help us to know, how do we both seek and save? The seeking doesn't save. 
The gospel saves. The repentance saves. So Father, show us how to both seek and save. We really want to know. And we need wisdom. As the world around us changes, as things get harder, help us to know how to seek and save just like you did. Father, we take a second and we pray for any of those in our life that you would call us to seek after with the love of Christ. Help us to know how to do it. Give us wisdom. Give us daily power in the seemingly insignificant that might help people see into Jesus. Father, we've made room for you this morning. Please continue and fulfill the work you've started in us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you'd like to take a next step with Redemption Church, visit us online at experienceredemption.com slash connect card. You can also give online to support the work of Redemption Church. To explore your giving options, visit experienceredemption.com slash give online. We hope that the message you heard today encouraged you. See you again soon.